0: Okay, join me in James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse number 18. It says, Then he prayed again, and the sky poured forth rain, And the earth produced its fruit. I was going to wait until we had a Sunday that it rained. (laughs) If you wanted to know what a drought felt like, it might have been a long time. But uh, no, I really, it just happened that I'm hitting verse 18 and we had a rainy morning this morning. Isn't that amazing? It helps to illustrate the point, I think. Verse 16. The effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. We're going to dive into these verses again as we glean much from our study on living faith. And so let's uh, talk to the Lord about it as we head into this passage. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. It is our food. It is our drink. It is what we need today. We do need that. That you might nourish us to walk a faithful, living, faithful life. We've got much to learn, much to do. And so we give this time We have busy weeks, I know, but we give this time right now to focus upon your word. And I pray that you use it in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. And may we glean much from it today. We thank you, Lord, for it and the privilege to have it. We give you the glory now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we are looking at the example of... ...of living faith in these two verses, 17 and 18. Elijah is our example. An example of living faith. And it's illustrated in his prayer. And we've been looking at this very carefully because the context has kept us in prayer since we first encountered it in verse 13. We are talked about prayer there. And prayer has been explained to us. It's been shown to us how valuable it is in the walk of living faith. And it was time for James to say, now let me illustrate. And he brought out Elijah for us. And Elijah is a useful uh, illustration for us. For we have learned much from him already. And we're going to learn a little bit more yet today. See, prayer is nothing without faith. You could look at the Baal worshippers and find that out. They prayed and prayed and prayed, but their prayers went to nobody, and it accomplished nothing. But Elijah was a man who prayed by faith, and he showed his reliance upon God. We're going to see instances of that yet today. But I remind you again, as I walk through this, I, I step back and I dissect the issue we call prayer, and say, what is that? And I've summed it up in five phrases. And I repeat them again, so we know. Prayer is confessing that you are needy. Or else, why would you pray? It says that we are needy. It also reminds us that we need to go to somebody else to get that need met. For we do not have it ourselves. The third thing I add to that is, as believers, we come to know, is God who we need to go to? That's why we pray to Him. We pray to Him. Because He can meet our need. So number four is our question. We're asking Him if He's willing to meet our need. Number five, I always think to be the hardest, trusting Him with the answer. Why would that be so hard when He always does what's good, right? Doesn't He? Some of you think so. Yes, he always, always answers our prayers. And his prayers are all, his answers are always perfect. He's never messed up, has he? He's never given you anything less than what you needed, has he? The Lord answers our prayers and they're good every time. So, why is it so hard for us to trust Him with the answer? Because the struggle's in our own heart. James would tell you that earlier in his book. He says, You pray, but you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. And that's our problem. There's something within us that makes it so hard for us to trust people, and it makes us hard to trust God because we want the control. We want the answers our way. We want to dictate how this should go. We bring it to him and we say, Lord, here's the plan, now just fulfill it. He's not the chef to match your your menu item. He is going to give you the best every time. And he will give you the right answer every time. And he will answer you. Do you trust him? That's called living faith. Trust Him with the answer. Trust Him with the answer. That's why I bring this up, because it's an issue of dependence. And I'm stressing it, because Elijah is the example of that man who trusted the Lord and obeyed without even knowing the results. He did not know how everything was going to turn out. And yet he was told to trust the Lord and obey Him. Do what he said. When he was told to go, he went. When he was told to speak, he spoke. When he was told to stay, he stayed. Some of the illustrations from First Kings 17. Even when his provisions had dried up, the brook would no longer gave him water. He was still sitting there when the Lord came to him and said, now it's time to move. And he moved. And he sent him to Phoenicia. Not a good place to go for him. He says, that's the heart of Baal worship. But He went. He stayed with the widow who ran out of supplies. But he watched daily as the Lord provided for her and for him. All those years, and I believe it worked, it was years that he was there praying all along the way. The lady's son died while he was there. Elijah was instrumental in bringing him back to life through prayer. It's quite a testimony of faith. And what we are told to do, literally, in this passage, is to trace that out. Copy it. Follow that example. He's called an example, like chapter 5, verse 10 says. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. That's Elijah, among others. They were examples for us. They were exhibits for us to see. That we may trace out what they have said. That we might be instructed by it and admonished by it. And so that we would imitate it. Copy the pattern. Live it out. We believe that Elijah sets a perfect example of living faith. Now we could say that all day long. But it really matters when we start to trace it out. And then it takes the next step. And we start to do it. And then do you know what comes after that? Somebody else is tracing out your steps. They're tracing out your steps. What are they going to trace? Hopefully, the very thing you're learning here from Elijah: how to walk by faith, how to live by faith. We're told to do that. Our living faith is to be just like his. He's our pattern. He's our example. That we might see how to do this. That we might live it too. Elijah's example, as you see in verse number 10, was an example of suffering and patience. Most people don't like the first word. And a lot of us don't like the second word. Patience is hard. Suffering is not desired. But can you live by faith still? Yes. That's the point. Elijah in verse number 16 was what we would call that righteous man who had an effective prayer. And we are called to be righteous too. Elijah set an example of what it means to be righteous. We should trace that out so that we live that out by faith. So that somebody down the road will look at you and say, now I know what righteousness looks like. And they trace it too. Would you like to hear that someday? Boy, that'd be exciting. He's an example of being fervent in prayers. As verse 16 points out. An effective or fervent prayer of a righteous man. We're going to see a lot of that here today. He was also a picture of endurance. Verse number 11. We count those blessed who endured. That's all in the same context too. Elijah was a man who endured. But... I've set all that before you because we're not setting Elijah up as a superhero. We're setting Elijah up as a man who faithfully trusted his Lord. He had living faith. That's what the chapter has been teaching us. Because Elijah, folks, was a man just like you and me. I don't want to miss that point that James makes. Because up to this point, you're reading through it. You're reading through it. You see these, these men, these women, these others who have set examples of suffering and patience and endurance and perseverance in their prayers, their fervency and all these. And you're saying, wow, they're way up there. I'm impressed. And the writer of Scripture says, no, they're way down here, right beside you. So that they look like you. So that you can be like them. It's not impossible It's not impossible to trace them out and to follow their example. Now, today, as we go into verse 17 and into verse number 18, we go to the last part of verse 17. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. I'm going to give you three lessons today from a drought. All right, Three simple lessons today from a drought. We already know, as we talked about it last week, this drought that came upon Israel lasted three and a half years where there was no rain. No rain, three and a half years. Devastating. Devastating. That is that red flashing light on the dashboard of Israel. That was their warning. That was to remind them that their relationship with the Lord was not right. I don't know if you would want that for you. I don't know if you'd like that. God had a series of consequences when Israel sinned, and unfortunately, they they became more severe the more they were stubborn about it. And he compounded them. And the difficulties grew greatly to the point where a drought, that's a rather serious thing. Three and a half years of it, that's pretty impressive. You would wonder after the first year why it didn't get their attention. You would wonder at the second year why they still haven't repented. You would wonder why they let it go through three years before they ever even looked at it and said, Huh, something must be wrong. Were they that dense? We sometimes wonder, do these people really think in the Old Testament? They go through these horrible things, like in the book of Judges, they're under the bondage of a judge for like 17 years or 25 years, and suddenly if the light bulb turns on and they're like, oops, we must have sinned. It's like, can we really go that long and ignore it? Hmm. These people went a long time. Three and a half years. Under God's judgment, the consequence was rough. But God was using physical things to teach them about their spiritual condition. Physical things to teach about their spiritual condition. Now that's Israel's experience in the Old Testament. Right? We're a careful dispensationalist here. That's in the dispensation of the law. Right? That's where the Lord worked that way. Does he work that way today? Or ask some of the street theologians out there every now and then. Why did that tornado hit our place? Maybe God was trying to get our attention. Have you ever heard that before? We still use the phrase. (laughs) Now, it's interesting. How does God get our attention today? You're carrying it in your hand. It's right there. It's his word. He doesn't need to write it in stars, shape them just right so they spell out John 3.16 when you look up at night. He doesn't need those illustrations of, of drought or rain or something to say, hey, I'm trying to get your attention. He's given to us his word and he told us to know it, right? He told us to share it, right? That's what he's taught us to do his word. It's our it's our accountability to his word that teaches us what God wants us to know, what we're supposed to do. But in Kings, first Kings seventeen, first Kings eighteen, we have the story of Elijah that's referenced here in verse seventeen of chapter five of James and eighteen. Verse 18, chapter 5 of James. Now, I think it's interesting, just a funny little observation, but verse 17 of James matches chapter 17 of 1 Kings. And verse 18 of James matches chapter 18 of 1 Kings. Isn't that amazing? What's that mean? Nothing at all. Just so you know. (laughs) Numbers line up and I say, wow, is that God trying to get my attention? I don't think so. But it's just interesting to me. I just throw it out at you. Because when we go into these observations, I want you to understand. Chapter 17 of 1 Kings starts with prayer. And chapter 18, at the end of the chapter, ends with prayer. It's on both sides of some very exciting stories. That happen in between. But I'm going to give you three lessons from a drought today. That's what I told you I was going to do. So let me start with this one. These are the things that living faith teaches us about prayer. Just based on this story of Elijah. Number one, prayer prayer should be according to the Lord's will. Does that sound unusual to you? Prayer should be according to the Lord's will. Chapter 17, let's go way back. Keep your spot here. 1 Kings chapter 17. I want to show you verse number 1 to start with. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, Surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. That's all he said to him. Was there any reference of prayer right there? No. It was a statement, wasn't it? He walked in and said, King Ahab, this is what the Lord said. No rain, no dew until I say so. That's it. Do you see a calendar set up there? Dates? How long? No? Anything like that? No, just a simple phrase. Was that the Lord's will? Well, yeah. The Lord said so, right? He went and said it right to Ahab that day. Did Elijah know it would not rain? Well, the Lord just told him to say so, right? So when we get to chapter 5 of James, it says, And he prayed that it would not rain. You say, now that's interesting. But he already knew that. But he prayed about what he already knew. Think about this for a minute. Is this just somewhat... uh, Let me give you illustrations. If you know that your team is going to win the game today, you already know the score at the end of this. Would that be exciting to sit there and watch it and say, hey, I know they're going to win. I know an example I had in high school. I was taking an economics class, and they were teaching us how... uh, stock market worked and everything. And so in an in a imaginary way, we were told we had so much money and we had so much stock we could buy and all these kind of things. And the teacher was going to bring in the report every day to let us see how we're doing on our selections. Well, I looked immediately at the paper he gave to us and said, now you've got to pick from here because tomorrow I'm going to give it. And I noticed he was a whole day behind. And I thought, you know What? He didn't say I couldn't, so I went to the library and I checked out what is the date today and what is the amount today, and then I compared it because I was always one day ahead of him. So I knew which ones to pick because I knew which ones were going up. He never said we couldn't do that, but I thought, well, is that fair? How would you like to be able to know that about the stock markets every day? Is like, right? It's like, watch the news and you don't know where it's going. Wouldn't it be great to know the end from the beginning? Elijah knew the Lord said it would not rain. But Elijah prayed. Watch this. Elijah prayed. Even though he knew. Why? Because he wanted the Lord's will. He wanted the word of the Lord to be fulfilled. He wanted people to see that. He was in tune with that. And he prayed for what he already knew. Now that's not uncommon in Scripture, by the way. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he says, pray then in this way. Remember the Lord's pray, prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Is it coming? Yes. Is there any maybes in that phrase? Your kingdom might come? No. It is. Why did He tell him to pray about it then? Your will be done. Does God's will get accomplished? Why do we pray about it? What if it's on earth? As it is in heaven. I thought that was very interesting to stop and say, But Lord... These things you said are going to happen anyway. We believe that they're going to happen. Why do we pray about it? Hang on to that thought. I want you to think about that for a second. Because Elijah said, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. He knew that that was the Lord's judgment. He knew that. And yet he prayed for it. He knew that it would cause incredible hardship. And yet he prayed for it. Maybe he, he might have thought, Lord, can you kind of direct all that to just like Ahab and Jezebel? Only punish them. Lord, can you do it that way? Maybe he prayed that way. I don't know. Many times he think, Well, Lord, if you're going to punish, just punish those who deserve it. The drought would hit everyone. The drought hit the poor. And the drought hit the widows. And the drought hit the sick. And the drought hit the elderly. And the drought hit the righteous and the unrighteous. And how many times did somebody say to him, Elijah, come on. Can't you talk to him about this and let up a little bit? At least on the victims, you know, our society. These are victims of this terrible thing. Let's let's not hurt them. Elijah suffered too. He suffered in solitude by a brook. We've read about that already. Fed by the ravens, drank from a brook until it dried up. Elijah suffered with the widow. For some time he was there. And yet he prayed for what the Lord said he would do. He prayed. It's not always easy to pray according to the Lord's will. It's not always easy. I want to take you to a conversation one that David had with uh, the Lord. It's in 1 Chronicles. Not too far away. First Chronicles chapter 21. First Chronicles chapter 21. It's a very incredible scene here. David later in his life had decided he was going to count his army. He was going to run a census. He was advised by Joab and the others around him, bad idea, David. Don't do it, David. No, 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 David, don't do it. David should have known otherwise because uh, the Lord says, your your protection is not in your army. It's not in your horses. It's, It's in me. Trust me. And David was a pretty good example of that, wasn't he? I mean, he walked up there with a sling and five stones when he's standing against Goliath, and he said those very words. This battle's not mine. It's the Lord's. And he knew that. So why did he change later and start to say, Well, I want to know how many's in my army? Well, it says in chapter twenty one, verse number one, Satan <laughs> enticed him to do it. Is that good words? <laughs> no. <laughs> David was being tempted here and David fell for it, and David started to add up his army and his advisors tried to stop him and he wouldn't do it. And so he forced them to go out and start counting. And uh, they didn't finish the job. They quit, by the way. They didn't like that job. But here in verse number 7, God was displeased with this thing. So he struck Israel. David said to God, I have sinned greatly. See, the dashboard lights were flashing. He caught it. I have sinned greatly, he said, in that I have done this thing. But now please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And so the Lord sent his prophet Gad, verse number 9, to talk to David. And he says to David this. David, verse 10. I offer you three things. Choose for yourself one of them, which I will do to you. Oh, you, you want this story in your life? You could choose three punishments. One of three. This is what you can have. Verse number 12. Either three years of famine... Or three months to be swept away before your foes, while the sword of your enemy overtakes you. Or else, three days of the sword of the Lord, pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territories of Israel. Now, think about this and tell me what you want. Ouch! David says, I'm in great distress. We undermine that. I mean, say that so simply. Man, this is terrible. He said this, verse 13, Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for His mercies are very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of a man. He said, if I'm going to be punished, I'd rather know it's from my Lord and stand under His hand because He's a merciful God too. I'd rather be punished by him than let somebody who is just an average man out there come and treat me like the offer was. The very next phrase says, The Lord said to pestilence on Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel died. David would pay for his sin, but so did 70,000. Thousand other people. Wow. That's hard stuff, isn't it? That's hard stuff. Elijah says, Lord, it's your will to send this drought. I'm going to pray about it. And it's going to affect everybody. It's going to affect everybody. It's not easy to pray according to God's will. If those are the scenarios set before us. There were times in the Old Testament I think of Egypt and Moses when there were a few of the plagues that did not affect Israel but affected only Egypt. That's not always the case. Often it happens like this on the earth. It happens that believers and unbelievers alike are hit by these kind of things. For Jesus said in Matthew 5.45 that the sun rises on the evil and the good, and He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So we may never get direct revelation from God about what we to do, or what we're to say, or where we're to go, like Elijah did. He was given audible words from God, said, do this, do this, do this. We may not be like that, but we do have God's Word, don't we? We have God's Word to light our path, to be a lamp to our feet. We do not know all the things that uh, we would like to know for the rest of this day and tomorrow and the next day. But we do know what God wants a believer to do. And how a believer is to live. We can't stop and say, I don't know God's will, can we? Do you know what God's will is for you? To live righteously. To live godly in this present evil day, right? Right? There's scripture all over the place. What is God's will for us? What is God's will for us? We're to live godly lives in an evil and perverse generation. We're called to live by faith. That's that's God's will for us. We have his message. We have the good news. We, We know it well. We also read in there there's consequences for sin. And how many people have we told about that? Elijah prayed according to God's will. We live in a day and age where we need people living according to God's will. Praying that way. Thomas Jefferson said, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just. And that his justice cannot sleep forever. So simply put, if you want to know God's will, read his book. He's given it to you. And you want to know what to do, believe it. Because He's given it to you to believe. And if you say, now what? Live it. Because He's given it to you that you might live it. And then you say, now what? Pray according to it. Pray according to it. That's something that Elijah teaches us here. It won't match the will of the world, folks. But it will match the will of our God. (laughs) And that's what we should be praying for the will of our God. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two. Pray with endurance. Pray with endurance. Most of the time when we attach endurance to the word prayer, we think of the practice of praying until you get what you're seeking. You use verses. I use verses. Like, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. From Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. You may even get real theological and, and Greek-like on that and say, well, those are present active imperatives. And what that means is ask and keep asking and keep asking and keep asking. And seek and keep seeking and keep seeking. And, keep seeking and knock and keep knocking and knocking. And those are all commands and we should do that, right? That's what it says. We should be persistent. Because that's why Luke tells us that the whole story. Luke writes this in chapter 11. I'll tell you what it says. Because he gives a story to illustrate what Jesus just said about keep asking and seeking and knocking. He says in Luke 11 verse 5, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come in from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and said, do not bother me. The door has already been shut. My children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. That's in the context where Jesus adds, the persistent word is, he's not bashful. (laughs) He's not bashful. He's going to keep begging and begging and begging. And the, the point is, Jesus says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. Now, Elijah shows you persistent. Yes, in prayer. But that's point three today. Point two is endurance. And I'm offering a different concept for the word. Not persistence, but Endurance. What is endurance? What's the difference? James chapter 5, verse 11, we count those blessed who endure, right? Elijah was a man of endurance. It means, in the the Greek word, hupo meno, to stay under. To stay under. To remain where you are. To stay under. It's really a cool set of words there. Have fortitude to endure, to tarry, to suffer. That's the hardest part, by the way. Knowing the answer to prayer and staying true to it, as Elijah's case would be, regardless of the experience he endured, there were no exit plans, there were no escape routes. It doesn't take long for people to start asking why when they're having a drought. And they want to know, well, whose fault is it? It's got to be somebody's fault, right? Remember the guys in the boat that's heading to Nineveh or away from Nineveh? They're having a terrible storm. What was their first question? Who did this? Let's throw them overboard. That's our population today still. Something's wrong? Who did something? What is this? Whose fault is it? We're always trying to find fault, aren't we? Fault for this, fault for that. Somebody's at fault. We're doing for how long do you think it took before they realized Elijah's name was attached to that drought? How many Facebook posts in Israel popped up Elijah's name next to the drought? Their leaders twittering about it or whatever. Elijah's to fault. Elijah did it. Elijah's doing this. Elijah said, it's not going to rain till I say so. Now, how, how long does it take before everybody's knocking on his door? Saying, come on, Elijah. That's enough, Elijah. Pray for us, Elijah. Stop this, Elijah. It's terrible, Elijah. Can you imagine it? The Lord put him by a brook for a while. People couldn't find him. Then the Lord said, no, you're going up to Phoenicia. You're going to stay with the widow for a while. The people couldn't find him. People were searching for him everywhere, because he was the cause of their suffering. That's what it was going on in the newspaper. All those little people suffering because of Elijah, all those sick people suffering because of Elijah, all those old people suffering because of Elijah. you think I'm, Im-, I'm imagining things? Go to First King's 18. Let me show you what's happening. First Kings 18. You just start into the first couple of verses. Now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, and I don't know if that's Obadiah of the Bible or or another Obadiah. If they had lots of Obadiahs, I don't know. But he called a man named Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of the Lord, stop right there, what's happening? Jezebel's killing prophets. Do you think Elijah's off the list? With his name next to a drought? No. Here... Jezebel the queen is looking for him to kill him. You're going to find that out later anyway if you keep reading the chapters. And Obadiah took a hundred prophets, verse 4 says, and hid them by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water. Now that's quite a feat, number one, to hide 50 guys in a cave. Tell them, be quiet. Right? But he brought them bread and water every day. And what was the problem? A drought. And they're looking for food everywhere. And here he's providing food, probably from Ahab's own table. Because he was head of the household. I don't know. But either way, that's not an easy thing to do. Ahab said to Obadiah, verse 5, Go to the land of all... Go through the land, to all the springs of water, and to all the valleys. Perhaps we will find grass and keep the horses and mules alive, and uh, not have to kill some of the cattle. So they divided up the land and they went their different ways. Ahab went this way. Obadiah went this way. Verse 7 says, Obadiah was on his way and Elijah pops up. Elijah met him. He recognized him, fell on his face. He says, is this you Elijah, my master? Now it's not that he was surprised that that was Elijah, but here's Elijah out in the open. Everyone's looking for him. And how do we know that? He says, it's I. He says, go to your master right now. It says, behold, Elijah here. And then this man responds, he says, Obadiah says, what I do wrong? I know what that means. If I walk into his presence right now and I say, Elijah's over here, and he comes and looks and you're not there, guess what? He kills me. I'm in trouble. I'm not going to go, you don't have a good reputation in front of this king right now. It's dangerous even bring up your name. He says, and you tell me to go and tell him? What sin have I committed? Verse 9 says, and Elijah says, no, 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 no. You go and tell him, I'm going to stay right here. He says, now, I've heard that before, and you disappear, and then you disappear, and you disappear. And every time we look for you, you're gone. How do I know you're going to be here? He says, nope, I'll be right here. Just go and tell him. He says, but I've been hiding 50 prophets in this cave and 50 prophets in that cave and I've been doing everything I can to keep this thing working. And Elijah, this is not working. He says, just go tell him. So he said, okay. So he went. Obadiah went, verse 16, tells Ahab. He says, Elijah's over there. Ahab goes over to meet Elijah. To Obadiah's relief, he was still there. When he walks in, Ahab says in verse 17, Is this you? You troubler of Israel? That was his new nickname. That's what they were labeling him as. The troubler of Israel. You know what? I sat and looked at this and thought, what would that be like to be Elijah? Three years in, three and a half years along, Everybody's against you at this point. Even the prophets who you think would be your friends are saying, "I don't want to give 10 feet to you because it's going to cost me my life." And all this while, Elijah, if he gave in to anybody's opinion, he would have he would have walked away from endurance to stick with it, even with everybody against you. That's what he did. It's an easy thing to discard. Endurance is easy to discard. You say, it's just too hard. It's just too hard. Elijah was told to wait. The Lord said, I will give rain, right? It wasn't that moment. God didn't tell him what the calendar was. He didn't say anything. He just says, it's coming. Endure. Endure. Wait. 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 And you say, why? Because Elijah had his eyes set on something beyond the drought. He was trusting his Lord. And that's not uncommon in Scripture, by the way. That we have to set our eyes to something further down the road. Because here's what it says in James 5.11. We count those who blessed who I have endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job, for example. And have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Our endurance is not based on circumstances, it's based on the character of God. That's the difference. He set his eyes on the Lord, not on the drought, not on the calendar, not on the prophets, not on the Jezebels, not on the kings. He didn't worry about all those factors and add them all up and say, well, I can't endure any longer. He says, I'm trusting the Lord's word. It's the Lord's character that he was counting on. We're told to do the same. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, we fix our eyes on Jesus, right? He's the author and finisher of our faith. Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Aren't you glad he did? He didn't look for an exit. He didn't look for an escape. He didn't say halfway through, this is hard. Look at these people. They don't treat me nice. They say bad things about me. He endured the cross. And we're so glad he did. Consider it all joy, my brethren, James would write at the beginning of this book. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let that endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. So, so far I've given you two things. Praying according to the will of God is difficult. But it changes our perspective, you see. It changes our perspective. It changes us to pray according to God's will, not according to our will. Not our will. Please, not our will. I don't like my will. I don't know about you. My will is always the easiest way. God's will is always the right way. Which do you prefer? Praying with endurance. Holding the course until the answer is given. Holding the course until the answer is given. Persistence is item three. Look at that clock. It's persistent too. I don't want to leave you without that, but I have to. You have to wait. It's like a drought. Wait another week. But I, I've got persistence here, and in front of me is some some things that the Lord has been working in my own heart. And I say, Wow, really? And I I, I don't want to shortchange that. Okay, I'll give you two out of three today. When we pray, let's learn to pray according to God's will that means know his word folks know his word we need people of the book today who know this word and say this is what the Lord is doing and this is how we should pray it's not easy but do it but secondly pray with endurance don't quit endure keep the course don't stray off don't look for the easy route the exits The escapes endure. Stay under it. Because you're that alone down there. You know when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death? Who's with you? He is. He never leaves you there by yourself. Never. I'll come back to this next week, okay? Heavenly Father, there's so much for us to learn. So much of your word that's so rich and deep and satisfying to our souls. Stretching us beyond what we are today to be what we ought to be. You already said in your word that you're shaping us to be like your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, there's going to be a lot of stretching to get us there. But Lord, you're you're faithful in that toward us. You are always faithful to finish what you have begun. And you're doing it now. And I thank you, Lord, for your work in our hearts. We need this. If we're going to walk by faith, if we're going to have living faith, we need to understand how prayer fits this and how we are to pray. Thank you for the example of Elijah. There's much for us to learn, but as we do, we give you the praise for being kind to us, showing us these things, and being merciful to us, and being patient with us, and yet enduring Working it through in our lives so that we will truly, and it's no doubt about it, be like Christ. Someday we'll see Him face to face. We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. What a great day that will be. In the meantime, Lord, keep us walking that course, we pray. And we thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen.